It's a normal night, or at least as normal as the Thromby family can manage. It's a time of festivity and celebration, if the family can neglect their own selfishness for the night. However unlikely it may be, the Thrombies still gather to celebrate Harlan's birthday. His old age suggested that he was running thin on birthdays, and the family knew this, but little did they know, it truly would be his last. Or maybe, just maybe, one of them did know. Ladies and gentlemen, and non-gender conforming individuals, welcome to the Thrombi Estate. The mansion of your dreams, or maybe your nightmares. Filled with collectibles that you could probably get for a fortune on eBay, worthy of only a true hoarder, or maybe a man of taste, Harlan Thrombi. Harlan was an author during his lifetime and left a real legacy behind him, full of best-selling mystery novels. His story, or its tragic ending, I should say, seems as though he could have written it himself. We will cover its nooks and crannies today and dive deep into the minds of the Thrombies. This is Movies with Mac. You know the drill, folks. Sit down, grab a cup of coffee, or whatever beverage you're into, and let's get these sound waves a-going. Maybe not too loudly, though. There's a killer about. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Now, apologies in advance, but this is going to be a short episode because it is college finals week. And I don't know, I feel like professors need to learn what the word final means because that means it's the last thing, but they keep spilling shit out at me. <laughs> I don't want to do it, but I have to. So it's literally Sunday night, the last minute before the release of this. And I'm just now doing it, and that's the only way I can make time for it. So yeah, I'm trying, and that's all that matters, but I am holding school as a priority. So sorry about that. Another apology. It is raining outside, and the mic might pick up on some of that, but I think it's fitting for this episode, so we'll just roll with it. <laughs> now, Knives Out was actually suggested to me on the poll that I proposed on Instagram. I had never seen it. I was scrolling through the list, much like I would through Netflix, Deciding which of them to watch that I hadn't seen, I hit this one and it clicked. I've been wanting to see it for so long, literally since it came out, but it had receded to the back of my skull until then. I love to say that movies changed my life, and it's true, but let's get real, some of them are a waste of time. Voglines really never can tell you what you're getting yourself into. Sometimes they hype it up too much, and sometimes they're not enough because the movie is so much better than anything you can fit into a description. Knives Out is one of those movies. I was like, here we go, another Agatha Christie wannabe, but um, don't kill me or stab a knife into me. If you do, just make sure it's one of those um, play retractable ones. But I personally think this tops Murder on the Orient Express. Now this is coming from someone who is obsessed with the old Express. I study story like it's sorcery, like you get to wield some magical power. Storytelling really is a sorcery of sorts. You get to play God who lives or dies. But it's like a cipher. Every damn one. You can crack it and oh boy, have I got it figured out. People don't like to watch movies with me because I predict them. It's more obvious that there's a code of sorts with whodunits though. Whether you're watching an episode of Criminal Minds or whatever, you're trying to figure out who did it. Don't lie to me, you are. And you want to be right, don't you? I know you do. 
However, Knives Out is a fucking stumper. It stumped me. But I still got it just later than I wanted to admit. It took me until that scene in the restaurant with Ransom and Marta to get it. Here's why. Knives Out feeds the story to you slowly and misleads you intentionally. You simply don't know enough in the exposition to get it down. Or maybe you think you know. But what I do know for sure is if they give you a motive quick and easy off the bat, it's not them. So like Walt with the publishing company, like I ruled him out crazy early. Now, it's not that way with film. In real life, like, yeah, it probably is. <laughs> I'm only good at solving fake murders, though. Don't hit me up with the real ones. I try and stay away from that. Above my pay grade, as they say. But what I did get rather quickly was the deep political and societal themes running through the nervous system of this film. If you're observant, you picked up during the interviews that every one of them says that Marta is from a different place. Ecuador, Uruguay, you name it. It's inconsistent. Most of them say something different, proving that one, they're small-minded, and two, they're oblivious to their own ignorance. They legitimately think that they've taken this girl in and treated her like family, when most of them don't even know her ethnicity. So update, they're awful, snobby people. Let's take this moment, though, to really hammer the political themes, here and now, up front. Because it is indeed the most important part, and, well, kind of the only part if we're basing it on the intent of writer and director Ryan Johnson. This is a man after my own heart, let me just say. And not just because of that last name. He's my second cousin, actually. I'm totally kidding. I have the most common last name ever. But anyways, he has taken something traditional and attractive, a nostalgic throwback like whodunits and used it to lure you into sitting down for the purpose of entertainment, but leaving with something else. He didn't wave the themes in your face before seeing the movie, but he did while you were watching it. If you didn't notice any of the themes literally popping out at you as if you had seen this shit in 3D, well then, okay. I'm not gonna be mean. <laughs> I, like Ryan Johnson, am going to make it obvious, even more obvious than he did. So historical context is really, really important with film, even if it's something that had happened recently. Before you go see a movie, you should always think of three things. First, when was the movie set? Second, where was it set? Third, what was happening in the world during the time it was set? I call this the triple threat set because, well, I said set a lot. I totally just came up with that on the fly, kind of proud of myself. I'm gonna trademark that here and now, no steelsies, but you can use these. That's the point of this after all. Once you've asked yourself those three questions, you have a really good foundation for picking up on a theme. And just because I'm a filmmaker myself, I also suggest that you do some research on the writer and director. I know Chris Evans is really tempting to type into Google and click on images, but it won't do you much good in regards to story. End of story. If you're like me, don't search up Langford either, it won't do you good for the plot. Dig into the past work of the writer and the director instead, which in this case is the same person. Johnson, as you may know, did work on The Last Jedi, where he also used many political themes. If you want to know what I think, I think he did this solo endeavor to make up for that being over the heads of the audience and to piss in the tea of the idiots who are all like, Star Wars isn't political. Horseshit. On next week's episode, we will be discussing the newest Star Wars trilogy and how it is actually good, despite what boomers may think. I'm kidding. If you are one of those people who are content with only having the original trilogy, kindly let yours truly also piss in your teeth. Dang, that rain is picking up. <laughs> but I'm with Ryan on this one, and I will be making a progressive whodunit one day, and I'm not kidding on that one. He made this film in 2019, so I want you to take that in, 
into consideration as well. Then let's answer the triple threat set for context with Knives Out specifically. First, the movie is set in present day, which would have been 2019, so a year ago, pre-corona. Man, I'd love to see a post-corona version of this. Next, it's set in America. And third, What's happening in the world? <laughs> this answer is going to be longer, so hanker down. And some of you are going to want to simmer down by the time I'm through, but hey. On the bright side, you can't argue with me presently, so you might as well just listen. Ryan Johnson said this himself, but Ransom is based off of a real person. Although he did say it less bluntly than I'm going to. It's Trump. Ransom is Trump. <laughs> now, what Johnson actually did say is that he wanted the audience to build trust with Ransom. You know, him helping Marta and all. He goes, Ransom is an asshole. And the audience thinks that maybe they need an asshole. I'll cut my laughter out for you. <laughs> who does this sound like? Trump's not a politician. Maybe we need someone who isn't a politician. If you think I'm making something out of nothing, please go listen to the interview. He dances around the subject matter, but it's worth a listen because it's obvious what he's implying. What Johnson also said, this time bluntly, is that the mansion symbolizes America. Everyone in the house represents a member of American society. Linda is the self-made but actually privileged business owner. Richard is basically a boomer. <laughs> Joni is a hypocrite that likes other people's money. Donna is a trophy wife. Meg is a liberal college student that doesn't practice what she preaches when turds come flying off of the fan. Jacob is a teenage dirtbag and neo-Nazi, addicted to his phone. Cue music. <laughs> And Ransom is a jerk and also apparently the president of the United States. <laughs> Get this, that scene where Ransom approaches Marta in the final showdown when he's talking about the inheritance being his birthright. That in summation is poking at European colonists. They took the land from the natives and then act like it's theirs. Yup, they're all nonchalant racist. They hand Marta their dirty plates despite that not being her fucking job. And that scene in the living room about immigration, you know why that's there? To put the theme on your frontal lobe if it wasn't already. It's literally there just to make you think about it for the rest of the movie. And is there so you fully understand that final showdown and Ransom's arrogance and the extent of it. When writing story, Ryan says he thinks sequentially in terms of audience experience, and then he combines that with the experience of the characters. In this case, Marta specifically. Knives Out is very unique because it isn't a traditional whodunit. It's like a whodunit hidden under a thriller. The plot itself goes from whodunit to thriller to whodunit again. Johnson's intention was to have both the audience and Marta think that she really did it. I guess I just have mega trust issues because I could not forget that the bottle was missing. I knew it had to be someone else framing her. I guess we were supposed to dismiss that and then have it come back for the detective's denouement. All the minor recollections we had in order to have that finished puzzle at the end. Johnson drew up his inspiration from Alfred Hitchcock, who hated whodunits. He looked at it as this huge buildup for just a cheap, predictable reveal at the end. Johnson agrees with him, which is why he combined it with a thriller instead. A Hitchcock-type thriller, honestly. There's a way to combat this, and it's called Columbo, like from the movie with the same title. Basically, you show the murder in the first act, and the audience knows who did it, then it just becomes this suspense thriller of following the audience to the killer. Johnson kind of did this and then had the killer not be the killer if you're picking up on what I'm laying down. It's kind of confusing. 
He also put the audience on the killer's side, which is not typical. These elements all make it more interesting and not just another Agatha Christie adaptation. Genre is very important in movie making, but no one said that you can't make your own. Genre lays out a game board. In this case, I guess it's like a new version of Clue. The point is, don't stick to what's standard. I don't like when people offer that advice to writers. Be inventive. We're story engineers here. I'm going to leave you guys with that final advice and then some advice from Ryan Johnson, which is don't put the horse before the cart. I myself have been very guilty of this. At least it's not guilty of murder, though, eh? <laughs> but there's this fixation amongst young filmmakers that they want to be in the industry straight out of undergrad immediately. But, like, you don't even have to go to college to make movies. Look at Tarantino. Johnson says that you should just make movies. Make them, make them, make them. That's literally the quote with all three make thems. Don't worry about equipment or crew. Shoot what you can with what you can. I feel like this advice has become run down because every director ever has said it at some point. But if they're saying it over and over, then it must be important. In focusing on your art, you'll get better inevitably. And then Hollywood will be calling you, not the other way around. So I hope you're feeling inspired. And I highly encourage you to go make something today. With that being said, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. That and the rain is really freaking picking up outside. But as they say in Hollywood, that's a wrap. Peace out, movie lovers.